Welcome to Back to the Sources, a podcast for those looking for a window into the life of Concordia Seminary and our library, whether you are a theologian, pastor, or prospective student. Each episode explores deep theological questions, profound insights, and topics of interest, brought to you by both professors and students alike. We hope that these conversations enrich your faith, academic, and professional development by connecting you to our rich resources. Back to the Sources is brought to you by the Hasse Library on the campus of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. The Hasse Library, inspiring theological discovery. Hello again, and welcome back to the Back to the Sources podcast. I am Aiden Moon, and today joining me for a conversation, another conversation about the Logos Bible software is Connor Wandrash. So I'll have Connor introduce himself, but first, we're giving a little bit of an insight into how you, as a seminary student, might go about using this tool that you have that maybe you've tinkered around with, maybe you've experimented with, but the, the logo software. And so over these, this few weeks of episodes, we're just going to spend some time hearing from students who have spent significant time learning how to use, how to get the most out of Logos. And we'll hear a little bit from faculty as well as to how they use it and how they approach it. So we're going to give you kind of a broader perspective and we'll provide some other links and resources along the way of where you can go to learn more, some visual tools that you can find as well for how to discover the the best uses for this software. But this hopefully can give you a picture of how some other students have used it in their academic work. So Connor, thank you for joining me. Why don't you Introduce yourself, give us a little background and where you're at now. Yeah, thanks for having me, Aiden. My name is Connor Wandrash. Like you said, I am the help desk specialist at the seminary. And what that means is I am the first person that people will call when they have problems about, you know, computers or Blackboard and SEMnet. You know, as an applicant, I'm sure all of us experience some type of tech-related frustration. And a lot of times I was the voice on the other side of the phone helping you through that. I'm also a PhD student. I graduated with my MDiv in January of of 22 of this earlier this year. So I'm in my second semester of my PhD studies in the theology and culture with special emphasis homiletics. So that's that's where I am. I kind of wear those two different hats. And I've been using Logos Bible software at the seminary since my class was given it as a resource in the mm. beginning of fall of 17. Okay. So that's kind of where I'm at with this as a program and as also with my roles here at the seminary. So how was Logos for you starting out? So our beginning class, we did not have the introductory assignment that a lot of the first years in EXE 507 have now. We were sort of given this this tool, this awesome gift, and, and it kind of rested. It's it's sat there. I didn't I didn't know at all what it was, specifically the package that we got from the seminary. I had used the software to kind of look something up on a BHS or open a Bible in in a neat app in college, but I didn't realize the the wealth of resources that we had in this package coming in in, in the fall with the exegetical class. But later that spring as we started to do homiletics, the the introduction to homiletics course, is when I really started to use the software and realized, wow, we've we've got a lot here that's available for the students to use. And in the spring, I kind of switched all of my note-taking, all of my experience over into Logos to try to maximize the benefit that this tool was. Yeah, so it sounds like perhaps we can give people a little bit of a head start. And already there's some things yes. people are able to use it from the get-go a little bit more than than maybe you were. But still, this is a, another way for us to kind of give people a jump start. Absolutely. And, and yeah. give them a, an insight into it. Well, so as you're thinking about those features, you've mentioned a couple things already. What are some of the features that you think are the most helpful 
for at least starting out. Because, I mean, there's yeah. there's tons of helpful features in Logos. So you can plumb the depths, get your hands dirty, mess with it. What are some things you would draw attention to from the get-go? Yeah, so uh, the one that captured me and the one that kind of pulled me into the experience of using it was the notes tool. If you use Evernote or Notability or OneNote or, you know, if you're a paper copy kind of guy, or even if you use Microsoft Word for notes, you're not going to find anything spectacular about the Logos note-taking tool that sets it apart from everything else. It doesn't It doesn't do the organization as well as Notability. It doesn't do the syncing as well as OneNote. It doesn't, there's no real good writing tool for it. But what it does do is it provides all of your notes in the same place where you'll do a lot of research. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that was the big turning point. It was, I'll have all of my notes in this place that I'm going to beginning a lot of my work. Mm -hmm. All right, if I'm going to do a Bible study, I'd like to know what Jeffrey Gibbs told me about Matthew in spring of 2018 in that one class. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to go over to OneNote or go to Microsoft Word or page through a bunch of stuff on my bookshelf and find it. I mm -hmm. want it in this search. So if I look, if I look for you know, Luke chapter 19 through my notes, I'd like to also see everything all in one place. Mm -hmm. And so what it, what it did, it was not a better experience. It was just going to be a more available tool to use in mm -hmm. the future. So all the little frustrations that came out even during class of writing notes, cause it's just not as pretty as everything else. Mm -hmm. And if you really like aesthetically pleasing notes, you're not mm -hmm. going to find it here but it's availability for years to come in the future as this kind of mm -hmm. one-stop shop for all your beginning was really attractive to me. So the notes tool was kind of the thing that got me started and mm -hmm. using it and going, oh, hey, this, this could be something that we use into the future. Yeah, and I know people all, everyone has their own kind of way that they figure out, some more effective than others. I was right. a total 100% paper note taker for my first two years yeah. of seminary. And I actually regret it at this point because there's so much that I have to wade through. Yeah, just to it's find. It's not accessible. And I was just talking to James Bozarth. He's the episode before, and he uses kind of OneNote and Logos side by side. Yeah. And he, he has, he'll even link into his Logos from, from OneNote. So there's like a variety. People figure out what works best for them. What are right. their top priorities? And I think one of the key things with, with Logos as a note taker is you actually have it in there as a highlight on yeah. the Bible. Exactly. You go in exactly. here at Nestle yeah. Allen, it's there, you it's can there. click on it, and you go right back to, like you said, a note you took in a class three, four, five years ago, right. and you'll have that, and you have that access. And that is, I mean, that makes it worthwhile, at least for part of your note-taking, to have that kind of connection. Are there any other features that jump out at you right away? Yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of have the big three that, that have that are my primary ways of using Logos. I would say that they're, they occupy the most amount of time when I'm mm -hmm. using the software and they're the main reasons why I use the software. So the notes tool would, would be one of them and all the linking that that does. But the second one is what was introduced, I wanna say it was in Logos 8 when it first came out, was the workflow and the guide feature. And that allowed you to kind of make a skeleton or, or a framework for how you would approach something, mm -hmm. whether that's a topic or that's a text or that's a person or a place or any anything you can identify that has been categorized as some type of a data point in mm -hmm. Logos, if that's the beginning of your search. So if you're doing a Bible study on anxiety, you could create a workflow for how you approach topics that will help you explore. Or you could create a workflow that goes along with a text for the way that you like to think about approaching texts and make mm -hmm. sure that you don't miss something, you know, because life of a pastor can get very busy and it's very easy to kind of miss some aspect of what you're studying and what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that really changed this, and this this came along in that spring of 18 in homiletics was 
Um, Schmidt's got this awesome eight-step process for sermon preparation. It's, mm. it's what we all use when we go through homiletics here. And I took Schmidt's eight steps mm-hmm. and I built them into a workflow. Mm-hmm. So all of the questions that he prompts you with are in step one. All the things, so like he asks you to pray, to read the text out loud and to, and to kind of get your initial thoughts. That's all in step one. Well, if you type in a text and you move through this workflow, it it prompts you with the text that you can have it read out loud. Mm-hmm. You can start a prayer list for the things that you're praying about with that text. And then also there's a box where you can type in all of your original thoughts and that mm-hmm. links to a notebook then that's tied to that workflow, that's tied yep. to the sermon that you're going to make. Yep. So it's this really methodical process that for me, as somebody who's scatterbrained all over the place, it really helped me focus and move through the steps um, mm-hmm. really methodically. It can be kind of it, it can take over and it can mm-hmm. be the thing that, that pushes you into this similar direction every single time. But for me, it was nice to know that I had something that I could rely on that was going to be consistent mm-hmm. in an easily accessible way. Because that course booklet, I, you know, I'm not going to bring that course booklet with me to Starbucks if I'm prepping mm-hmm. a sermon. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring my computer and kind of look through those things. Mm-hmm. So the, the workflows and guides, and there's so many different ways that we could use those. Yep. That was just the one that really highlighted to me and made me uh, feel it was useful. Yeah. Well, and, and personally, that's the workflow on Logos that I've used the most. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad it helped. It, yeah. it, it, it gets a lot. I've gotten a lot of use out of it because especially early on when you're really figuring out those steps to have it right there in front of you. And again, like you said, not have to be go back, reference the course packet. You actually have it doing it. It's do, yeah. you're doing it right in front of you and prompting you with these things. And I think I discovered more of the tools that Logos had within that process by working through sermon preparation in particular. Yeah. And so that's one of those, those, those encouragements too. Even if you're just sort of trying to get your, your feet wet, you can try a workflow someone else has developed. Yes. And that yes. helps. Sure. As, as someone who is not a, a naturally tech savvy coming into it, and that's where I started. And that was kind of where then you can start to dabble and right. experiment and figure some things out. Right. Yeah, there's tons of workflows that are made by, you know, a bunch of, you know, we'll, we'll put them in quotes, famous theologians. You know, uh-huh. like Mike, he- Mike Heiser has a method that he's got that it's a published workflow. A couple of the guys who come to teach us about Logos, Chris McMaster and Steve from Faith Life, they both have mm-hmm. versions of workflows for their method. You know, inductive Bible study, um, passage analysis, literary analysis, all these different things on, on the ways that people do Bible study. Mm-hmm. You know, there's even like a... a uh, devotional workflow for mm-hmm. how to, you know, may, maybe you just want somebody to tell you how to think about a text and, and have a devotional moment. And so mm-hmm. there's things for that as well that are available to the public. Mm-hmm. So take full advantage of that. And this is where you just kind of start clicking on things. Oh, yeah. And you All can find you can find these. And this is also another thing where it can be helpful for you to talk to your classmates yeah. about how they're getting use out of this. Because you might find something that you didn't know existed in there. People can share things and pass things on. And sometimes people have a workflow that they've developed. Yeah. And it can be really helpful to share that. And maybe you don't use it, but it can kind of help you think about how you might approach something, what kind of workflow you might develop for what you're doing. Right, right. I actually had a conversation with Dr. Bierman earlier this week. He was trying to figure out how to activate this certain tool in Logos. And it was a tool that I hadn't used before. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I, I want it to do this. And I was like, you have a tool that that does this? And what he wanted to do was he wanted to be able to hover over the text. And you know how there's the the parsing information that's yep. usually at the bottom of your pane. 
Well, the Explorer tool actually blows it up and puts it on the side okay. where you can hover across an entire text and just see the quick gloss, mm -hmm. but also all of the parsing, all of the other ways that that word appears in the New Testament, mm -hmm. all just on a hover through. Uh -huh. So as he's scanning text, he's looking at this pane on the right, and I'd never used it for that before because uh -huh. the Explorer tool typically is used for, okay, you're in, you're in Jericho and you uh -huh. want to know about Jericho the place and Jericho the story and all the different timeline points and all that is uh -huh. there. But he was using it for this really granular text view, which I thought was really cool. And uh -huh. I've added that now to a couple of my layouts because I uh -huh. liked it. So, yeah. Yeah. The, the limits are, are almost endless. And for the way, different ways that people utilize the software and make it work for them is just really cool. And I do think that's one of the things that's overwhelming for people is yeah. just how much you can do. Yes. And so it's like, well, I'll just pull up my text in yes. the ESV and my Nestle Allen and the Lexicon, right. and I'll stick with that. And exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. mostly how people use it is they can hover and see a gloss yes. and it like yeah. sort of operates as a, uh, a spotter if you get if you get lost or confused, which yes. is is a valid use of the tool. It I mean, really is. It yeah. is that that is a, a good starting point. Right. But there is so much more you can do. Right. And this is where seeing how somebody else uses it can be kind of helpful because you're like, oh, oh, I could do that, and just like little steps at a time to right. broaden. Right. The horizon of how yeah, just little it. moments of clicks yep. that you see people doing. I think one of the things as a student that can be really intimidating is our main emphasis that we see being Logos used for is when a prof puts it on their computer, puts it on the projector, and they walk through a text mm -hmm. and they're reading it and their competency in Greek and Hebrew is off the charts. And you see them, all you see them doing is pulling up the text on one side and a lexicon on the other. And you're like, that's not how I use it at all because mm -hmm. I, I can't do it like that. Mm -hmm. And so seeing it modeled in different ways by people who are of the same competency, mm -hmm. I think is really helpful. And this is one of the things that Dr. Adams does really good in any of his classes. Mm -hmm. So he gives moments and opportunities for his, I think he calls them clans because he takes them after the, or tribes. He takes them after the tribes of Judah where they can actually enact and do things in the software that uh -huh. you'd traditionally do in your own study, in your gotcha. office, not what you're going to do when you're presenting in a Bible study or in a class. And so it's opportunities to get familiar with things that you didn't know existed, just moments of, of interaction like that. Yeah, that's, that's really that, well. That's really, that's extraordinarily helpful when a professor kind of gives you a chance to try it yeah, yeah. in a sort of practical way mm -hmm. in the classroom, whether that's a software or whether that's just, all right, break off in groups and go through a text. Go do it. That's that's a really helpful thing. And so it's worth worth taking that time on your own too to just sort of fiddle with it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Any other features you draw attention to? <clears throat> yeah. I'll give you a big one and then I'll, I'll give you a small one. That's kind of the only ones that I got in my mind right now is the sermon manager tool, mm -hmm. which, which is a brand kind of brand new feature. The sermon builder has been available for a few years now and it's, it's basically word and PowerPoint kind of mixed together. Mm -hmm. So if you want to build your sermon and write it and change the formatting and, and, and make an outline and make a handout and also make a PowerPoint presentation at the same time, you can do that all in one place. I use it for the exact same reason that I use notes, not because it's a better place to write things, but because it's a more available place mm. in the future. So if I have a phrase that I know I wrote down for a sermon that I really liked that I want to connect back to, I can look it up right mm. in all of my search results. And so the sermon builder tool is great. But then the sermon manager is you get to catalog and classify and list out all the sermons that you've ever preached or all mm. the sermons you've ever written. You can define their 
you know, liturgical season, their lectionary year, their date, any sort of metadata, the text you used, mm. your title. And so all of that is available in one place and you kind of get this picture and you can see it in a list view or in a radial view, kind of like mm -hmm. the church calendar view. You can see all of the things that you might have preached on or the topics mm -hmm. you've highlighted or, or you can, you can identify places that you haven't addressed mm -hmm. or things you haven't thought about or done, or, you know, maybe, maybe you see year C, you know, proper 14 and you preached on the old Testament for the last nine years, because that's the only one that you felt comfortable with. And mm -hmm. you can, you can highlight moments of weakness and areas mm -hmm. that you need to emphasize as a preacher. And so just seeing all of that in the sermon manager is really helpful and you can make sermons into the future with it. Okay. So, you know, you're going to be the only guy in the summertime because your other pastors going on vacation and you want to build five sermons out. You can build five sermons out starting on July 1st. Maybe it's a sermon series and you get to define their topic and apply it to all the sermons. And it's, it's just a really helpful management tool. I know a lot of pastors will just use a glorified Excel spreadsheet okay. and kind of list all the things in there, but this is a kind of a living document and a way to manage uh -huh. all of that stuff. Well, and that's helpful This to connect some dots with that. Something that you'll get in homiletics classes is this idea of a focus and a function statement. Yes. So yeah. you can see kind of what are your main... What yeah. your main point is, what you're getting across, what you're hoping that comes out of that main point. And this is where something that you can actually see for yourself. Okay, this is what I've covered. Yeah. And so, you know, you're you're wanting in your ministry to be preaching the whole counsel of God. You wanna yes. you wanna cover the whole scope of what God is doing and saying in scripture of what your people need to hear. And it, like you said, it can actually open up some weaknesses for yourself too. Yeah. What are the things that you've really been spending way too much time on, like, pet yeah. subjects that you can't get off, or what are things that you really haven't touched at all that your people need to hear? Right. And so you can actually get a visual yeah. for that. Yeah. Or you can identify, you know, maybe in a title, you've got you've got Sabbath or you've got rest, or maybe you have the word abortion in four sermons uh -huh. and an entire quarter. And you go, man, I'm, I must've been on something for these yeah. four that, that, that pushed me this way. And, you know, maybe it's faithful, maybe it's the context that you're doing with your people, but you can identify places that you're overemphasizing, underemphasizing, mm -hmm. or just missing from the whole council of God. It's, it's yeah. a homiletical self-awareness. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> that's what it, yeah. And if it takes a spreadsheet yeah. for you to see it, you know, that's, that's helpful. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a good thing. So give us maybe a couple examples of just how you might approach a text mm -hmm. or a topic as you're getting ready for, and you can choose a sermon or a Bible study yeah. or something along those lines. Yeah. So, so the first thing that I do if, if I'm given a sermon, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you a practical example. I'm preaching for, I think it's December 11th, whatever that that Sunday of Advent is that's mm -hmm. coming up here. The first thing I'll do is I'll look at the three texts and I'll just listen to them. And the LSB three-year lectionary resource inside of Logos is usually the first place that I go because mm -hmm. it lists all three of them together. It's okay. really, really helpful. And so I'll just listen to the three of them and, th and think about, okay, which, which one am I going to identify as the main text that I'm going to preach from? And that'll kind of function as which text I put in for the workflow because mm -hmm. workflows, you can only pick one. You can either do, you know, Luke one, Luke 19, one to 10 or Genesis two, 15 to 15 to 20. You know, you can't do both of them unless you're going to do two workflows and try to connect them somehow. So I'll identify the main text and I'll pump that into the workflow. Mm -hmm. And then now on this side, having done, you know, X amount of sermons now in my life, I don't necessarily go through it in order, but I'll mm -hmm. think, you know, this is going to be a teaching heavy sermon. I'll jump right to step four. 
Or, hey, we're in Advent. This is going to be a particular liturgical season. I'm going to hop into the liturgical context first and mm-hmm. think about, all right, is there a series? Is What's coming after and what are we mm-hmm. doing here in this congregation? And so I'll jump into the workflow and just kind of think about the places that I want to start. And those will be my primary places of emphasis. And I'll move through the workflow and just... And just explore, honestly. Mm-hmm. Every time I'm finding new things that are in there, it's like, oh, this, you know, this text, I didn't have any commentaries that were doing good literary analysis. But with this one, you know, Raymond Brown, he's got a great literary analysis mm-hmm. on on this text. And so I'm going to use that as a nice way to function and focus how I'm thinking about just this text or this sermon. So each one kind of has its own surprises and moments. Mm-hmm. But I would say now having, having kind of pushed through using the workflow step one to step eight, probably 10 to 15 times mm-hmm. uh, of like really doing it all the way through, like the sermon prep project that we do at the beginning of time right. one, yep. right? Having done that, now I know I know what I'm thinking. And so most most of my mm-hmm. sermons are, are sermons without notes now. Yeah. So I don't even write anything in the sermon builder. I know that's it's oxymoronic for what I've just said that I love to have it as a search <laughs> tool. Um, but I'll, 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 I know what questions I want to think about mm-hmm. based on which step it is or, or mm-hmm. what I'm thinking. And so having this tool that's been available, that's been a part of my process has kind of internalized it for me mm-hmm. to be a, a stepping stone to think about it. So if I'm thinking about a text and what it's teaching now, now I know, oh, hey, I know that I know that I could go, you know, book a Concord or confessional documents, mm-hmm. or I got all these Luther's works that are going to, going to do this in that kind of a vein, mm-hmm. or, hey, you know, this kind of pop culture theology set of books that I've got in my library, that's really going to address focus and function and, and hear interpretation and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of know what the workflow is going to offer me based on having gone through it. And so I'll use the workflow and I'll write a lot of notes as I can, but but almost, you know, maybe 10% of those notes actually transition into getting written into the sermon. Mm-hmm. They're just thoughts that I'm having about the text, about the resources. Hey, this guy said it really, really cool. I'd like to incorporate that. Or, mm-hmm. hey, that, that brought up a memory of this story. And I'll, and I'll just write a name of a story that I've got in my head. And so the workflow for me is just a nice home base. It's not necessarily something I'm going to use all the way through every single time, but it's it's just a nice crutch to have as a resource. And you need to use it less and less the more yes. you practice. Yeah, the more the more it's yeah. internalizing you, the more the more the the eight steps are coming out. I would say by February of my vicarage. So at my vicarage congregation, there were well, we had a second site and we had a service that happened every Wednesday. Okay. So the way that I always describe it is there are there were three sermons that happened every week. And there were three preachers. So all three of us were doing, were preaching at some point throughout the week, either that's mm-hmm. at the second site, at the main site, or for the Wednesday evening service. Mm-hmm. So all of us were in this really, really regular rhythm that, that kind of got exhausting for all three of us. But, but by February, I was actually thinking at the beginning of the whole process, what's the focus, what's the function? Yep. What's the focus? What's the function? Oh, if I think about this, that really changes the focus of the text. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's if it's this idea that Jesus is telling us versus if it's this idea that Jesus is doing, that changes how I'm thinking about focus and function. And those can radically change the, the thrust of the sermon. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until doing it over and over and over for, you know, six months at that point that it was like, mm-hmm. okay, I think I can start to think about this the right way. So, and, and that's what the workflow provided as an opportunity mm-hmm. to do that. Well, and it might, it, all of us have our weaknesses or things that are likely to slip through the yeah. cracks. 
And that's another thing that it can be that, again, homiletical self-awareness. Yeah. That you see your workflow and you go, oh, you know, I, I don't really take a whole lot of time thinking about the narrative of how it actually is flowing and right. you know i'm maybe you're maybe if you're not super naturally inclined towards the exegetical side of things it can kind of be a corrective for you to go okay yeah. i need to actually take a little bit more time on this and just because the steps are there for you it can at least yeah. prompt that thought yeah hey exegetical statement well what is the exegetical statement i guess i didn't really think about, yeah, about exactly. this <laughs> sermon before i preached it you know maybe uh-huh. i need to read no i need to do the new do that next time yeah no, that's that's a helpful thing yeah well thanks and i would say as we kind of come towards a close it would be helpful if you have any other resources that you would recommend people follow through on and maybe get some visual help see kind of what things look like absolutely absolutely so on logos's website there are training videos for all of the different tools mm-hmm. and i would say as as you're in the software and you're just clicking around and you find something and you can identify what it is based on the title of the tab mm-hmm. as i would go search for that tool in the logos video resources and see how they demonstrate it mm-hmm. so the canvas tool or the fact book uh, mm-hmm. Even the library, how to search your own library, how to yeah. look for series and tags and authors and all those things. And just watch the basic videos. That's most of what I did to learn how the software worked and then just using it all the time. But the other really, really helpful one would be as you're using the software is to identify functions that you want to do that you don't feel like you know how to do. Mm-hmm. So I I really wish I could see all of these lemmas or all of these words in a in a neater way or in a more organized way when I look through my lexicon because this just looks like a bunch of gobbledygook pushed together because mm-hmm. you know the view we get in our resources on Logos is very different from what you get on the on the print resource. Mm-hmm. It's nice, it's laid out. Somebody actually took the time to go, hey, when we go from page 62 to page 63, it, this can't get, get cut off here. It has yeah. to go on this heading. And, yep. and sometimes with our view settings on our screens, it just gets all messed up. And so that was one of the things that I did. I said, how do I make my lexicons not look ugly? You know, that was basically my Google search. And it came out with outline formatting, which is one line in one setting of one of your resources, your yep. your lexicon resources, that changed the entire way that I interact with lexicons. And so mm-hmm. I would say just some dedicated Google searching uh-huh. for specific phrases of what you're trying to do yep. goes a long way. Yeah, you don't want to search how to use logos. Yeah, but if yeah. you start to figure out. Yeah, I want yeah. this to not look bad <laughs> yeah. when I do this resource. You know, so no, that's like that. That's very helpful. Well, thank you again, Connor, for for being with me today. It's really helpful for me, even personally, to I'm, hear I'm how glad. somebody else uses the resource. I am you know, always discovering new things myself. And I I hope that it'll be helpful to our listeners. Again, thank you for joining us on the Back to the Sources podcast as we continue to provide you with some insight and resources from fellow students and faculty here at the seminary as to how to use some of the great resources that we have access to to make the most of your time here in your studies here and then also to serve and support you as you go out into your ministry in the future. Thanks again and have a great week. If you enjoyed Back to the Sources, be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Facebook so that you don't miss a single episode. This podcast is brought to you by the Hasse Library on the campus of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. The Hasse Library, inspiring theological discovery.